Um, most of us cannot dodge the bullet of Halloween for one reason or another. My daughter and I were coming back into town on Thursday night, and I'm glad we slowly turned into our neighborhood. And we, we were driving to our neighborhood about 8.30, so we thought all those events would be over with. And the first group we came upon literally was about 30 young people heading down the street. I guess they were trick-or-treating. They were kind of old for it, but uh, they were having some... <laughs> And we passed 10 more here and five more there. So Halloween uh, is not something that I don't think any of us miss very easily, even if you're trying to. Um, at the same time, uh, Halloween uh, has conscripted uh, one of those sacred holy days. It's actually called a principal feast of the life of the church, which is All Saints Day. And Halloween is All Hallows' Eve, the evening before All Saints Day, November 1. And I love that the church, in, I would say in her wisdom, has added a second uh, feast day. It's a minor feast day on the very next day called uh, the Feast of All Faithful Departed. Uh, it's almost as if we, uh, we celebrate the great ones whose names are known to everyone. But the church in her wisdom says, and we celebrate the ones whose names are not known to everyone, but they're known to a few. And they are saints of joy and light as well. Let us remember them. And we took pause even this moment in our prayers to remember some of those as well, perhaps as you lifted up names. Um, I was at my 40th college reunion last Sunday, uh, last weekend, and um, that was a, as always these reunions are sobering events, aren't they? They get uh, those years, th that number gets bigger and bigger. Um, but what has become a routine of mine when I go to Sewanee, return to Sewanee, is I go to the churchyard, the cemetery there. It has a, it's a very noble uh, cemetery. Um, it's a university cemetery, a Christian university, and there are very large monuments there of bishops and grand ones of the Confederacy and before and, um, and post that, and so huge monuments to some of these individuals whose names are known to the whole faithful of Sewanee, uh, Leonidas Polk and uh, William Porche DuBose and so on and so forth. But over in one corner, there's a smaller marker, and um, it's to a uh, uh, Missy Roland Turner. And Missy was my two daughters' um, babysitter when they were very young, and we lived in Spartanburg. And Missy had a dream as she got older as a teenager and an older teenager to go to Sewanee. She actually came out of an impoverished situation because of a, of a broken family and uh, uh, lost business and so on and so forth. And by God's grace, uh, she was uh, able to go to Sewanee on a very liberal scholarship that Sewanee provided as gift. And so an impossible dream came true for her. She met her um, beloved there. They dated for three years, and after Sewanee, they were married. And so we followed all this of her journey. She was very, very special to us. And Missy was a church leader uh, as a teenager. She was on the search committee when I was called to be rector there as the youth representative. Um, she was a bold leader in uh, the renewal movement, if you will, and um, a bright light. And um, post-college, she continued that marvelous witness uh, in her own family and uh, wherever she was. So she's one of my saints, if you will. And she, um, she was diagnosed with cancer in her uh, mid-30s and fought an extraordinary battle. And uh, uh, here from St. Paul Somerville, she called me. And uh, our families were so close at one time. Um, she asked me if I would walk with her to her death. 
So um, I, I, I told her back then um, a few years ago, I, I said, Missy, you just consider that I live about a mile up the road. Um, you call me whenever you want, and I will I'll come and say prayers with you or uh, read scripture to you, whatever you want. So I did that for, from that point on for about uh, eight months. She was uh, near the end of this long battle. And I would make my way up to Spartanburg from time to time. And uh, that's what she wanted to hear. She wanted to hear the Bible read to her. So we read the Psalms a lot of times. So there's a little grave marker um, in her honor and in this big university cemetery campus. And uh, it may not be known to others or important to others, but it is to me. And I'm so delighted that in the wisdom of the church, we have these two great days uh, yes, to All Saints' Days that we remember Ignatius and St. Augustine and down the list, but maybe more personally and more particularly and more important um, are the ones you remember whose names are known to you alone or a few others. And in God's eyes, they are as great, a bright a light as anyone we have all ever heard of. Thanks be to God. Now, I offer that as a prelude today because, as always, um, when we hear the Bible read to us, uh, the Bible tells us what and whom. And the Bible um, has told these saints through the ages what and whom. What is important to God and whom are we to worship? Think of Micah as we've been in our life groups perhaps earlier this fall uh, following these minor prophets. God has showed you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? And the Bible also tells us whom to worship, who is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible tells the seeker what to seek, the lost what to find, the doubter what to believe. And the Bible tells the believer, the seeker who has found, the lost person who has found the truth, the doubter who has come to faith, then the Bible tells that believer how to live and what to count as important. Jesus has an encounter with one who was completely lost. Lost in the values of the world, lost in his own self-importance. His name was Zacchaeus, a tax collector that everyone would have been um, bitterly um, um, would have uh, been bitterly opposed to and not liked. And Jesus uh, reaches out to him. And something profound happened in this tax collector's life. He understood what he had not understood before. He saw what he had not seen before. He found the truth. I like what one commentator says about Zacchaeus. Uh, this commentator, I don't remember his name, said, Zacchaeus was a little man who wanted to be a big man. 
But God made Zacchaeus a great little man. I think that could almost be a byword for any church community like St. Paul's also. So many churches and so many church leaders, rectors can be very guilty of this or priests can be very guilty of this, and say, well, uh, we, we are a little church and we need to become a big church, you know? Uh, what's our average Sunday attendance now? Have we grown? Are we bigger? Let's get bigger and bigger. And perhaps what God often is thinking of and wanting for his church community is something a little different and to say, you are a little church in the grand scheme of things. And I don't need for you to be a big church in the grand scheme of things. I don't need another big, huge, you know, non-denominational, whatever. I don't know. I, I need you to be a great little church. Isn't that a great thought for us? And what about for your own life as well? If you feel small in importance, and I will confess that sometimes uh, with men, men with their egos, that sometimes uh, uh, I too can feel small in importance, just not enough titles after the, you know, at the end of my name, not enough uh, uh, titles on the front of my name. And uh, we all can have kind of victimize ourselves, I think, or especially men perhaps, or maybe it is men and women. And God reminds us in his Bible that, you know, what I need are not little people who want to be big people, but little people who want to be great little people. I just will never forget Missy Roland Turner. She was just such a great small person. No one else in here knows her. So not famous by any worldly standard. Now in Spartanburg, there are a few who know her, remember her for her witness. And may there be a few here in Somerville that over the years know you for your witness as one of the great little ones. Zacchaeus' life is utterly transformed. It may have been he, he had been listening to Jesus for a few days or a few weeks or for a few months as Jesus made his way around, but something profound happened and in that greatness, there was evident change. Now, I was just simply looking at the readings this morning under that context of the Bible tells us uh, what to believe. And I simply want to offer from this vantage point of Isaiah and Zacchaeus and the psalm what the Bible tells us about what is important to God. And, of course, the logical extension to that, well, if it's important to God, it ought to be important to me, shouldn't it? That's in contrast to what is important to the world. And if it's important to the world, this must be important to me. So I will offer these four thoughts as just truths extracted from these readings today. Um, and uh, thinking in the context of a Missy and a Zacchaeus and us as well. And first of all, Zacchaeus shows to us uh, in his transformation, and what God is teaching us about what is important is what I would call proportional generosity, which means giving in proportion to what we have. Zacchaeus, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Out of the riches of his abundance, his worldly riches, he all of a sudden has had a heart meltdown about what he ought to do with what he has. 
And he even adds, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, and he probably had as a tax collector, I will pay back four times the amount, really making it up for what he had done. Uh, shades of the widow's might, in a sense, this idea of proportional generosity as Jesus raises her up as another unknown great little one. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had, proportional generosity. And another truth of what we have heard and could receive today from the Bible as what is important to God is humility that promotes and encourages confession. The psalm today, blessed is the man, the woman whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Indeed, that is true. It does not count against her. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. The silent one is the one who is bowed up in inactive rebellion against God and will not acknowledge his fault and his wrong. And so day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And that is a tremendous burden to bear is unconfessed sin, unacknowledged wrong. And so the psalmist leads us the way, leads the way through humility to confession when he also adds, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. No more hide and seek with God. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And in the fruit of that, you forgave the guilt of my sin. The burden is removed, and joy and gladness comes into the confessing heart. And just to put meat on those bones, that sort of confession towards the Lord often involves another human being, a wife, a husband, a friend, a child, a father, a mother, a grandparent. And that in that active willingness to make confession out of humility, it does mean going to another person and speaking to them from your heart of your regret. Proportional generosity, humility that encourages and promotes confession, and yes, uh, compassion for the little ones. Isaiah, with an indictment against those whose hearts have grown calloused against the needs of others. And he concludes that passage this morning, Stop! doing wrong learn to do right and then it is described to us what that right looks like seek justice encourage i've got it wrong here a little bit encourage the oppressed defend the cause of the fatherless defend the oppressed plead the case of the widow in other words the little ones we have an obligation and responsibility for them matthew Jesus teaching, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he certainly will not lose his reward. 
Jesus later in that gospel, see that you do not look down on one of these little ones. And Jesus a bit later, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Greatness in God's eyes, greatness in the kingdom, are individuals, little ones themselves, who are willing to have a heart of compassion for the little ones of the world. And a fourth and final thought on these biblical truths of today, I believe we need to bring back to our own families because that is with whom we live out our daily lives. And there is a call often in Scripture. One way to describe this is to be the lover in your family system. Be the lover, L-O-V-E-R, the lover in your family system. The one who loves the most, not the one with the most power in the family system, is the one who is a follower of Christ Jesus and his love. Who is the primary lover in your family system? Is it you? Or are you the power broker? Is the control in your life such a high priority and such a need that you've got to manipulate the whole thing around you? Aunts and uncles, grandfathers and grandmothers, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, and yes, the children as well. Who will rank highest in your family system as the genuine lover, desiring the best for the other and being willing to help them get it? Well, when I think of Missy, I think of the person who emulated all four of these in her life because I knew her life pretty well. And I want to be a, like a little one as she was in the deepest of my hearts. And I hope that each of us here as well think in that way. That's Zacchaeus thinking. The little man who wanted to be a big man, so self-conscious and broken and locked into that. And he is instead the little man that God makes into a great little man. And Missy, my friend, my babysitter, and one of my heroes, who exhibited proportional generosity, humility, a life of humility, who had compassion for the little ones, and who was exemplary as the lover in her family system to her husband and to her children. Thanks be to God for all the saints of our lives, especially the little great ones. Amen. Let's stand. And